Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make this world a better place, it's time to run or drive with the game changers. And you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. By the way, we have a very special show for you, but I'll get into that in a minute. I found a quote from McKinsey.com. I won't give you the full URL where I found it, but this is interesting. Here's the buzz. All cars will become less like metal boxes and more like integrators of multiple technologies, productive data centers, and ultimately components of a larger mobility network. Wow, that's a lot to get your arms around. That's a lot to grab the wheel of driving that one. So what are we talking about today? After a 10th year of steady market recovery in North America, the automotive industry evolution. I didn't say revolution, and some of you may think it's more of a revolution. We're going to say it's an evolution, and we'll find out why later. It's at a critical juncture. Why? The volume of personally owned vehicles. And if you're like me, you still have a car in the garage or parked on the street. The personally owned vehicles purchased by households and parked for more than 70% of the vehicle's lifetime. Guilty, I'm raising my hand. That's beginning to taper. So, reflecting on what they learned at the 2018 AASA Technology Conference, that's Automotive Aftermarket Suppliers Association Conference, our two special panelists today are going to talk about the opportunities in the automotive aftermarket and what's coming up or down the pike, depending on which way you're looking at the road, in terms of a new breed of aftermarket suppliers in this goes back to my opening quote, cars, integrators of multiple technologies, data centers, components of a larger mobility network. There's so much to talk about. So this is the future of cars with Game Changers Radio. I am Bonnie DeGram and our topic today formally is automotive aftermarket 4.0. Come on, you know we're on, I don't know, the industrial revolution, what, 9.0, 12.0, 6.0, I lose track, from digital process to digital products. Very, very exciting. I have two panelists. They are experts. We only needed two because they know so much about this. Let me tell you briefly who they are, and then we'll get started. First up, we're welcoming back Chris Gardner. He's the Vice President of Operations for the AASA, Automotive Aftermarket Suppliers Association. I want everybody to memorize those letters, AASA. And he's joined by William Bill Newman, automotive expert at SAP. And Bill has been around on the series for all three years we've been on the air with this one. So welcome, gentlemen. And Chris Gardner has sent us a wonderful quote from Jim Valvano, Coach Valvano, James Anthony, James Thomas Anthony Valvano, 1946 to 1993, named Jimmy V. He was an American college basketball player, a coach and broadcaster. And he, after his career, he gave an inspirational speech in 1993 at the ESPY Awards, telling his listeners to laugh, think, and cry each day, saying, don't give up, don't ever give up. Unfortunately, he passed away two months later from a very rare type of glandular cancer. But here's the quote. This is a good one. My father gave me the greatest gift anyone could give another person. He believed in me. Chris, it makes me cry because my father believed in me. And when I put the quote in my notes, I didn't realize it was going to touch home. Chris Gardner, how are you? 
Hey, I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thanks for uh, having me on this morning. Well, we're just delighted to have you. I love the quote. I've never heard of Coach Velvano before. Tell me a little bit about, did you know him? Did you hear him? Uh, why did you pick this quote? And we're talking about automotive aftermarket, and you've got a quote about dad believing in someone. So you got to connect the dots for me, Chris. Go ahead. I'll be glad to. Uh, well, I was uh, fortunate. My my dad went to North Carolina State University, and, and so did I, and I was a senior in 1983 when we won the national championship with Jimmy V as the coach. And oh, a lot of people my. know him as a truly inspirational individual. The quote reminded me, though, of when I played high school basketball and being on the court. Jim was loud, everybody yelling. But I never heard anybody in the crowd except for two people, my coach and my dad. And he always yelled. <laughs> and I could hear him go over the crowds, boy." And that's been my motivation almost all my life. Even though he passed away 10 years ago, I can still hear him saying that. And so that that, uh, has helped me through my career, just thinking about how proud he was of the things that I had accomplished through my career. That's that is, that's a beautiful quote. It, it's so personal. It hits home in so many ways, and I'm sure I'm not nearly the only one who feels that way. So let's talk about aftermarket. Let's do a little definition here in terms of believing in you, believing in the AASA. How do we relate that to our topic? Because we have a lot to get our arms around today, Chris, with you and, and Bill Newman in terms of this evolution, revolution. Do you think it's an evolution in automotive or is it a revolution? What's your POV? Well, it's. Um, I think actually it's a little of both. Um, the independent automotive aftermarket really each year doesn't change much. It evolves. But the reason I say it's a little of both is that there's a lot of uh, new technologies and new startup technology providers, suppliers, and what's mm-hmm. happening with the automo- automakers. Um, they're, they're rolling out new technologies that are going to drastically change how vehicles are serviced in the future. So actually, Bonnie, I think it's a little of both. Thank you very much. And do you believe that this aftermarket is really gaining traction is really going to be where the innovations will come. What's your thought on that part of the industry, Chris? Well, I absolutely do, and we'll, we'll probably get into this in a little more detail, but I think there's going to be a lot of um, joint development efforts between traditional parts manufacturers and these uh, new startups, emerging technology providers, Silicon Valley-type companies, if you will. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to happen um, to a great degree in the next three or four years. But the whole aftermarket is going to change because there's going to be a lot more, and you sort of alluded to this, there's going to be a lot more fleet management by other types of models, other types of providers, and less individual ownership and service of vehicles uh, in the future. So that's going to create some major disruptions and major changes in our industry. Thank you very much. Good introduction. And Chris, so happy to have you back on the show. Chris, I have to ask the accent. Where are you from? Are you from North Carolina? I am born and raised in North Carolina. Do you know that I'm sitting right here in my home office broadcasting from Durham? Did I tell you that? I, yes, I do know. We're, I'm in Research Triangle Park, so we're probably just a few miles apart. 
Oh, my goodness. I'm over off of, I won't give an address, but I'm off of T.W. Alexander, just north, uh, just actually a little bit west of Briar Creek, off of T.W. Alexander near the new uh, Corners Shopping Center where Harris Teeter has a great big expanding shopping center. You know the area? I'm right near you. I do. Our office is right off of Alexander, just a couple of miles away. I know where you are. You know what? You and I, we're going to have coffee one of these days. Deal? Nice. Look forward to it. I'd love to come over there and see what you got. I really, really would. Now, we'll talk about some other media that I'm doing here. I think you'll find it very interesting. Wow. Wow. Okay. That's really a nice, cool surprise. Bill Newman, I haven't forgotten you, my dear. Bill Newman has sent us a wonderful quote from Andrew S. Grove. Anybody doesn't know who he is, he wrote a book called Only the Paranoid Survive, How to Achieve a Success That's Just a Disaster Away. He was born in Budapest, Hungary, emigrated to the U.S. in 1957, naturalized citizen in 1962, and he is the chairman and former CEO of Intel Corporation. We'll just leave it there. Really, really smart guy. Under Andy Grove's leadership, Intel has become the world's largest chip maker, fifth most admired company in America, and seventh most profitable company among the Fortune 500. Here's the quote. A strategic inflection point is a time in the life of business when its fundamentals are about to change. Bill Newman, how are you? I'm great, Bonnie. Hey, good to be with you and uh, good to be with Chris this morning. Yeah, we got got a good thing going on here. So talk to me. I know you're not North Carolina. We'll talk about that later. But Bill, talk to me about this quote. Strategic inflection point, is that where aftermarket is? Is that where automotive is? Are they converging at that inflection point? Give me some background here. Well, I think what Chris was alluding to really sets it up. So aftermarket largely is a cause and effect based on what the traditional automakers do. Um, it's, it's the stuff that we put on enhance, um, all the cool tires, all the trim packages, you know, the, all the additional Mm -hmm. things that we can do to our cars. And, if you look at where the automakers are going, they're going to be operating, some of them will be operating very, very large fleets. So there's that evolutionary track of, you know, what parts do I need for the new vehicles of the future? And when I'm consuming a vehicle at a really high rate, um, we, Chris and I were together with, I don't know, we think it was about a couple hundred, 250 industry participants at the annual tech conference that AASA sponsors um, every year. And, you know, the, the, the vast majority of folks there are making what, what AASA, and I think, Chris, you coined the expression, hard parts. So for mm-hmm. those hard part makers in the traditional aftermarket, it's really hard to see beyond what they're doing today. And I think it represents a, a, a significant opportunity as well as a threat, which is really what an inflection point is. There's nowhere mm-hmm. to go but up or down. You can't, you can't keep doing what you've been doing for, um, for, the, for a long time in, into tomorrow's world. I think that there's a real opportunity, and we'll talk about it today, around what do you do for these smart parts that, that are going to be available, services that are going to run out of the vehicle of the future, you know, particularly more of a transportation uh, model that we've talked about on this show in the past where there's, there's no wheel, there's no pedal, um, no drivers, you know, steering wheel, no pedals. Mm-hmm. Uh, really more of a, a way to get from you and your 
your things from point A to point B. It's a very different, it's a different model. And there's some generational impacts as well that are applying to that. But I really do think, you know, and, and I hope that um, everybody in the aftermarket segment can make the pivot, make the adjustment, and um, take advantage of just a, a whole new world of opportunities. So that's why I chose the quote. Yep. Thank you very much, Bill. Appreciate that. And we're going to go with two, two panelists. As I said in the beginning, we just need two because the two of you are so invested in so many ways into this particular topic. If you're just tuning in, this is the future of cars with game changers. We're talking about automotive aftermarket 4.0 from digital process to digital products. And that's where I guess, Bill, we could say, and Chris, that the pedal meets the metal where when they turn into digital products, that's where the consumer gets involved. Oh, I'm going to add this to my car. Oh, this didn't come with it. This is an aftermarket add-on. So that's where it really gets to be something that we can wrap our arms and wrap our feet around, if you will. Let's talk to Chris Gardner. We found out where you are in general. You're here very close to me, Research Triangle in Durham, North Carolina. Chris, uh, let's just catch up with you and find out what your favorite drink is that powers you to be so invested in the AASA and what you're doing there. And uh, do you live in the same area too just want to know that yep definitely uh live in raleigh just oh. just up the road and uh, i would say that the last time we did this bonnie i talked about my favorite drink being a good southerner which would be tea and if you say mm-hmm. tea that means sweet iced tea. sweet tea you right. don't have to say sweet and iced it is <laughs> but i was recently in germany and austria and so now i appreciate my iced tea more than ever because i didn't have a drink the whole time i was over there with any ice in it Oh, really? Wow. Why? Don't they have ice makers over there? Uh, you know, I'm not even sure, but uh, when they serve water, when they serve drinks, uh, they don't come mm-hmm. with ice. So I was glad to get, I loved the trip, uh, but I was glad to get back home and get some uh, ice in my drinks. Oh, you know something? I haven't heard that on link from anybody, Chris. Chris, we had a, a couple people on Game Changers Radio a few years ago who were into specialty ice cubes. Have you ever heard of those where they're made with a certain type of water and they're frozen a certain way? They're like gourmet, top-of-the-line ice cubes. You ever heard of that? I have, but I have not tried any. Me, me neither. I just, you know, whatever the ice maker makes. Very interesting. So tell me, what have you been up to at AASA? Uh, and, and I have a question for you. While you're answering that, I open the show and the topic is automotive aftermarket 4.0. Why 4.0? Did we come through three iterations of that? Why not 9.0? Where are we? Is it something that changes year by year, month by month? How fast are we evolving? Are you evolving in the aftermarket? Just give a little background, please. <clears throat> Well, um, as I said earlier, the aftermarket, if you, if you look month to month, it does not change. But uh, year over year, it is absolutely changing. And as Bill said earlier, some of it is actually uh, pushed or forced on the industry. Um, there's a lot of uh, technology developments that are happening with aftermarket companies, aftermarket suppliers. Um, what's going to be happening next, Bonnie, um, is what's are the changes that will be happening in repair shops. Repair shops and technicians are going to, are starting to learn how to deal with vehicles equipped with ADOS, with uh, What is ADOS? What is ADOS? I want to make sure we know what that is. Advanced Driver Assist Systems. And so it would be the things that are starting to come out in cars 
that uh, help you with safety. So it's lane change, warnings, backup cameras, uh, adaptive cruise control, automatic braking, all those things. And there are there are millions of cars on the road now with some or a lot of these features. Well, they're not easy to service, and they have to be uh, recalibrated and reset based on the original equipment manufacturer specifications. So that is quite a challenge. Uh, a lot of the service providers are adapting that, learning how to deal with it. And then there's also the uh, the flow of vehicle data is starting to emerge, and a lot of companies in the aftermarket are either learning how to or developing ways of capturing that vehicle data mm-hmm. and figuring out how to provide services, how to provide diagnostics, uh, how to create relationships with the motorist, with the vehicle owners. Mm -hmm. So all of that is why I think we're moving from quickly from aftermarket 2.0 through 3.0 all all the way to 4.0 quickly. Thank you very much. You know, one of the uh, the enigmas for me as a driver, and, and Bill Newman knows I love my sports car. I'm not giving it up anytime soon. Just got another one, Bill. I'm on my fifth Z. This is the 370Z, and it's gorgeous. One of the, the problems, Chris, is that the GPS in the car is now, I bought it used, is now three years old. And the cost to update the mapping system in that GPS is hundreds and hundreds hundreds of dollars. So people who have cars with a not current GPS system, we use our smartphone. You just, there's a little Mm -hmm. holder for the drinks. You just plop your phone in there. You set it on where you want to go and you let it talk to you. Never able to use. The community I'm in here, Chris, is so new. This was is about two and a half years old. It isn't even on the map on the car GPS. So that's an interesting uh, dilemma, enigma, challenge for those of us who buy a used car where we don't want to fork over that much money for a little bit of software to update the map. Any comments? I'm not mentioning manufacturers, but any comments on that? Well, yeah, one one comment is that, uh, and this is something that um, Bill can speak to because we did a joint uh, research paper with SAP uh, on the digitization of both business processes and products, actual parts. And I think there's a confluence or convergence, that word was mentioned earlier, of mm-hmm. things, and a lot of it will end up being embedded in or focused on the mobile, the smartphone that consumers have. Um, that is a device that will give them information about their vehicle, about what they're going to do next about shopping, about a whole diff- a whole lot of different things. And I think it's a it's it's not just a trend, it's it's a mm-hmm. vast a great movement across this country where where individuals are taking their phone with them from place to place and it controls yeah. their lives. And vehicles are no different. Now companies have de- developed technologies to where phones can actually provide information to motorists about what's happening inside their car. And, and Bonnie, to be honest with you, in the future, what you're going to have is individuals ordering parts for their cars, having mm-hmm. service scheduled, and purchasing parts right through their phone, and it's all done with a you know, couple of clicks. Yep. Yep, and I think we will welcome that. I really do. It'll be nice nice to be able to have everything literally at your fingertips, literally and figuratively. Thank you, Chris. Bill Newman, where are you today? I know you're busy traveling. Where are you? What's your current favorite drink? It's almost time for your special Irish cream recipe for end of the year, but we're not quite there yet. And what have you been up to, Bill Newman? 
Hey, Bonnie. Well, you're going to get me all daydreaming now about the holidays. So let me try to <laughs> keep, keep focused here at the at the task at hand. Uh, I'm in Michigan today. It's uh, it's a nice fall autumn day. It's uh, the leaves are falling, things are turning. It's uh, the cider mills are open, and uh, it's college football season. So it's um, it's all good. Having a nice cup of coffee. Got some Pete's beans that we brought. Um, we were able to find um, locally, and um, yeah, so I, it's almost Irish cream, or, or since Chris is from North Carolina, and y'all are down there now, maybe you want to try the bourbon cream uh, variety of this year's uh, recipe, which is pretty pretty darn nice. So we'll, we'll wait a few months and for some vacation time before we whip up some batches, but um, it's always a, it's always fun, and, and your listeners know they can always find that on my the recipe on the blog site so it's it's a good time well chris and i want you to come down here we're going to have a an irish cream with bourbon party somewhere here in the research triangle bill so next and time you're down there, in this well, part of the world go. we're gonna we're gonna right. do it okay it'll now. be a networking it'll be a great networking <laughs> environment that's for sure <laughs> that's perfect and i just so moved we'll here from down and talk about aftermarket there we go <laughs> there you go i moved here from great neck where it's great networking great networking so there you go now Bill, what have you been up to? I know you were at the AASA conference. I know you were in Detroit a couple weeks ago when I was doing my interviews with the Best Practices for Automotive, mm-hmm. uh, fourth annual sponsored by SAP. So what have you been up to in, in your work at SAP? Well, it's been a busy time. So we are in conference season now. So um, thanks for the note on the Best Practices for Automotive conference. We just wrapped that up in Detroit. I was uh, fortunate enough to... Uh, act as MC for the event, and uh, we had some great innovation awards. There's plenty of write-ups about that out on Medium and some of our other um, digital marketing channels, so I'll invite listeners to learn more about the event um, in those places. Last week, Chris and his colleagues were kind enough to um, sponsor the the annual technology conference that um, the uh, AASA sponsors. And and we did something unique on a follow-on day. We had a special day just focused to some of the new things that Chris was talking about here uh, around uh, mobility and innovation in in the aftermarket space. Mm-hmm. Um, as a run-up to that, we've been working with um, the great team that Chris comes together, and I'll show I'll throw a shout out to Philip Atkins, who's just a great colleague working on the team for the third year in a row now with our digital aftermarket study. And and this year, similar to previous years, we looked at how digitization of processes were impacting or not impacting the the independent aftermarket space. Um, it's a survey that we've that we put together at SAP and and um, listeners who didn't take the survey are invited to participate and, and can actually take the survey and benchmark their their position in those processes. But what we also did was we took a look for the first time at what companies in member companies inside of AASA were actually doing to not only plan for in their product portfolio, but to budget um, the shift from, as we said earlier, from hard parts to smart parts. Mm-hmm. And, and, and typically, we have found that, as we were mentioning earlier, there's a bit of a lag between what automakers do strategically with their vehicles and what 
what aftermarket providers um, um, actually do in response. But we were heart, heartened to learn that over 70% of the members we survey actually have begun to plan for their products, leveraging what we call these case technologies, connected, autonomous, shared, electrified. And 60% of the members we surveyed intended to reflect those in their business demand models within the next five years, with 40% already reflecting this change today. So it's happening, which is good. People are shifting. Um, and I think that there's a real opportunity to not only build these smart parts, but also to capture some of that um, upside $1 trillion worth of digital services that we were kind of alluding to earlier when you have the car being able to communicate to a smartphone um, through the onboard diagnostic port. Um, and when you mix in a little artificial intelligence to it, you could actually, you know, have, have the individual get offers to go get a part that hasn't failed yet, which I think is really incredible when you, when, and, 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 and depending how you set it up, it can just happen and the system can notify you. So really taking the intelligence into the vehicle, um, and that's just for the cars, Bonnie, that you and I and Chris like to drive. Right. So mm -hmm. when you take that to the next level and you're operating a fleet of thousands or tens of thousands of vehicles, that process all happens in the background. And so now you've got cars that are in effect healing themselves before they need to be um, fixed and, and, you know, scheduling their own maintenance and, and getting the work done, um, you know, in this not so distance in the future type of environment. So it's, it's beginning to happen still with a human intermediary. Um, there's a lot of exciting things that will happen in the future. Um, new, new segments for cars, whether you're a rugged outdoorsy type or you want the sleek mm -hmm. business sedan, um, as you consume more vehicle miles, which will be the, the key metric that we'll be looking at, uh, you'll there'll be more opportunities to make these smarter parts and to take advantage of these new service platforms that Chris was talking about earlier. Thank you very much, Bill. Very interesting overview. I'm, before we go to break, and we might even skip it, we're almost at the halfway point, something that comes up so often when we talk about processes, digital cars, experience, data, specifically data and cars, is who owns the data. And let's keep it at the personally owned vehicle level, not at the fleet owned or at the autonomous, which brings up all kinds of other wrinkles, if you will. So let me go back to Chris. How, how big are the concerns for who owns the data? What happens if you say too much, do too much in your car, and the data is being shared with whom, by whom, where does it go? What is the privacy protection? Is this an issue in aftermarket? Chris Gardner, love to get your thoughts on this. And then Bill. Well, Bonnie, it's a great uh, question. It um, access to vehicle data and who owns the data and where uh, consumers have the opportunity to have their vehicle serviced and with which parts, all of that wrapped up into one question, is the number one issue in the automotive aftermarket industry. And going forward, we don't see that changing. Uh, I heard it recently was said at, at, the, at the technology conference that Bill mentioned, is that data is the new oil. And that's what makes data in the future will make the whole industry engine run. 
Uh, that's data coming from the vehicle, car park data, vehicle service history, consumer preferences, etc. It's a huge issue. And the, re- the reason why it's a big issue is that there's a lot of different um, facets to this. Number one is, is software IP. So who owns the software on a car? Who owns the data that's generated from the car? There are agreements that are signed when you purchase a new car. The car owner, the vehicle owner, now has certain rights, but does he or she ever read that entire agreement? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the ability to access that data to provide services to motorists, to be able to diagnose and repair and service vehicles is critical for, for vehicles to be serviced. And there are a lot of different stakeholders, insurance companies, the automakers, the OE dealers, independent aftermarket repair shops, part suppliers, distributors, etc., all have, um, have an interest in this. And depending on which way we go with this issue, it will impact the business models for every one of those different stakeholders. So we're working really hard on this issue to try to ensure that motorists have the flexibility and the, and the rights to have their vehicle serviced wherever they choose to because they own the product. But to answer your question to sum it up, it is a huge issue. Thank you very much. That's what I was looking for. I, I have a feeling it was. We talk about it in so many different ways, Chris, so many iterations on many of our Game Changer shows. Very often, it's not just about cybersecurity, who's getting hacked and attacked. It's we are sending out data all of the time. Everything we do today, almost everybody is connected in some way, and we're not even always aware. So it sounds like really fun, cool stuff for your car could open you up and expose you to what you say, what you do, what you request. Bill Newman, love to get your thoughts on the privacy issue. Do you agree with Chris Gardner at the AASA that this is the number one concern in the aftermarket industry today? Well, I do, and I go, I'll even up the ante. I think it's a big concern with um, regular <clears throat> original equipment suppliers as well. I mean, we've talked about uh, the connected supplier and, and how companies um, are, are actually building platforms that generate information and what do you do with the information. I think we've, you know, kind of the classic example is if you look at a company like Bosch, you know, I think that their their vision is they want to connect the driver-consumer with the car, with the refrigerator, with, you know, mm-hmm. the grocery store. Yep. To, you know, with the security system. And I think that there's a real there's a real upside opportunity there to be able to um, harvest and manage that entire customer to business to business to customer relationship. If you net that down to the aftermarket, those um, those privacy and those intellectual property um, uh, concerns, issues um, remain. Um, arguably it's more difficult because in, in the purest sense of aftermarket, you, you don't have access to the onboard vehicle communications outside of the, the OBD2 port that we, we were referring to earlier currently. And, and even then there's, there's still talk that, um, even though that, that port, as we learned in the conference, will, will remain under California uh, regulatory statute for quite some time, 
that there is still talk among the automakers to uh, to create more of a privatized um, short distance communication platform um, that additional information will be made available to. So there's there's a bit of you know we talk about net neutrality in 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 the web and you know mm-hmm. customers like you and I being able to go on and you know still be able to have access to all the information. I think there's going to be that type of um, heavy discussion um, in automotive, um, which is beginning now and will gain in, um, shall we say, intensity and, and earnest um, in the coming years, because that data is that data is the new oil. It's it's valuable. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a commodity and it's shaping a big upside market, um, according to McKinsey and um, Frost and Sullivan and others in the next you know 10 to 20 years. And I'm going to add a slightly different flavor to what you both just said about data is the new oil. I had somebody from SAP on a panel on one of our different shows. And by the way, we have, I think we're up to 38 different Game Changers series under the Game Changers banner now. But somebody said he disagreed with the comment, uh, data is the new oil, because oil gets used once. Oil is used and it's done. You burn it, you use (laughs) it for something, it's gone. Data, well over and over. You sell it, you use it, you process it, you analyze it, you put it back in, you change the flavor, you change the color, you use it over and over. So could could we all agree that data is, it's even bigger than oil because it just gets used over and the issue is we don't know where and by whom and how often and how many times. Am I right, Bill and Chris? Yeah, no, no doubt that it's it's bigger than just a, a one-time use. Um, and and Something I think you've alluded to, Bonnie, is that um, figuring out who has access to it and where it's going and who has it and, and it, what its format is in and all that, there's a lot to this. And the challenge we have is that, tech, like in most areas, technology is way ahead of government, way of, mm-hmm. ahead of laws and ahead of regulatory uh, statutes and things like that. And that's trying to catch up and identify with who has what data, where it is and where it's going and who has access and protecting the, the, the rights of the consumer. So it is, um, it's bigger than just a one-time use, and uh, we still don't understand all the ramifications of it. Very well put. And by the way, gentlemen, I just for the heck of it Googled, Bill knows I, I like to look things up while we're on the air, Connected Cars Dash, who owns your data? Well, here's just a sampling. Connected Cars for Dummies, download the new ebook from qorvo.com. Another article in rtinsights.com, data ownership in the age of the connected vehicle. Another article, medium.com, looking ahead, you own your vehicle, but who owns your information. Another article in Consumer Reports, who owns the data your car collects? An article in the register, connected car handover headache. There's no quick fix. Another one, what kinds of data do connected cars share about drivers? That's on insurance.com. Here's one in ECN Mag, data security and privacy in the connected car age. Uh, one in, I'm looking for one here in the World Economic Forum, who owns connected car data? And here's one more in dataeconomy.com. Connected cars will cross new data frontiers. Interesting. That's just a, a quick one-page sample of what came up on Google. I don't want to focus on that anymore, but I just wanted to get that out there because uh, we talk about the fun and interesting and all the things your car can do for you and with you and by you, but there's data involved, and that's something that 
that is on our minds. I don't know. Do you think we'll get blasé about that after a while, Bill, when we realize all of the the benefits of all this connectivity? Do they go say, well, not that important. So I I ordered a a, a belt for my engine, you know, big deal. Uh, who's going to use that against me? Do you think we'll we'll even care, Bill, after a while? Well, I think that even digital natives are these Generation Z consumers mm-hmm. that are starting to enter the workforce. I think that they are, I think that they will, uh, so first of all, they have a different perspective in terms of how they want to consume transportation. They're really not interested in owning a vehicle. Um, and, and and that's a tipping point. So, you know, less than half, less than half of that particular demographic will probably not intend to own a vehicle. They may end up owning a vehicle, but they will intend not to own a vehicle just, you know, based on lifestyle choices and, and, um, and use. So would those people be really mm-hmm. interested in ordering spare parts for a vehicle yeah. that they're not using? I'm not no. even sure that they're going to even be part of that ecosystem, which is kind of, you know, hard to fathom. Um, for those that do, they they may actually just want it to happen on its own, and they may get upset um, or disappointed from a customer's satisfaction perspective if it doesn't happen automatically. So I, yeah. I think even the intermer- intermediary step, like Chris, you were talking about earlier, where we actually have a notice on our cell phone and says, "Hey, you need to you need to you know order an air filter and a you know, timing belt." I, I think they will remove the the human out of that process um, within the next 10 to 20 years, particularly as we do more fleet management. Thank you, Bill. I just want to throw a little uh, wrench in here to what you said, Bill. One of the people I interviewed at the Best Practices for Automotive said she was relieved that her teenage son would not be taking driver's ed. Because well, because <laughs> he was not going to be driving a car because they, they would either be part of the uh, car sharing or or he would be in the age of, I guess he was young, he's young right now, we'd be in the age of autonomous vehicles and he would need to know how to, I got such a kick out of that. It reminded me of, of getting on the bus in, in uh, Douglaston, New York and taking the Q24 to Jamaica to one of the high schools and getting in a car with four other high school kids and taking driver's ed from Mr. Yorman. I remember what he looked like. I remember what he's, it was, it was, and then taking the bus back home and then eventually getting the license at 17. But that was part of our growing up experience. Uh, I want, I want to move on a little bit here. We are not taking a break, by the way. This is just too good to stop. Chris Gardner, you have an interesting comment here in your notes. You say traditional parts suppliers have been challenged in digitizing parts and products because they have not had an individual or group dedicated to making this happen. So are they laggards? Are they going to be out of business? Or is somebody, especially if they went to the AASA conference, the tech conference, are they saying, oh my, we'd better get on this. We'd better catch Mm -hmm. up. Where are these companies? Are they going to be gone bye-bye soon? What do you think? Well, it's uh, it's an interesting uh, uh, topic. Uh, The first is, I would say, is you're right. If they had gone to the conference, they would have learned so much. Because we had topics, and Bill has mentioned some of these, we had topics like self-healing vehicle software, Mm -hmm. how long would the OBD2 port last, uh, and so forth and so on. So there's a lot of interesting things they could have learned. But 
I'm not sure that all the traditional part suppliers are going to go out of business if they don't identify someone internally to be their, their digital product guru. I do think they need to go in that direction. But what a lot of the companies uh, that are suppliers, hard part suppliers as we call them, will have to learn is do we develop new technologies and digitize our products by using internal resources and do it organically mm-hmm. or do we partner with others? And that's a lot of what we're um, working on going into 2019 is bringing together uh, these emerging technology companies that are not traditional aftermarket suppliers. They're outside looking in, but they've developed uh, predictive analytics capabilities, connectivity, uh, the, the, the ability to collect data from sensors and make use of it, uh, telematics providers, uh, plug-in device and dongles and mobile apps and all these things we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. But I see that they're going to be partnering with the traditional hard part suppliers to develop new products and new services going forward. So I I do think that the suppliers, the traditional suppliers, have to do something, but it's up to them whether they're going to have to identify someone internally that manages all this. Probably they need that and or partner with uh, the emerging technology companies. Interesting. Bill Newman, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this. We talk about this all the time on different Game Changers series is what are the laggards doing? Who has to be the banner waver, the flag waver, the yes, we'd better climb on board the digitalization bandwagon. What's your thought, Bill? Well, Chris and I talked on this in our in the keynote that we had for the <clears throat> Mobility and Innovation Day um, last week at, at the conference, and I think that there's definitely two areas of expansion for aftermarket. So the one area is because we're going to be fleet operating our vehicles and consuming them at a much, much higher rate, um, we're going to go through parts and tires and, you know, windows and all the stuff that, you know, we were discussing earlier. So even as those hard parts become smarter. They may not necessarily be smart parts. Another interesting point is, is that we're seeing with companies like Karma and Rivian and and others that some of these platform companies are going to design their automotive platform to be consumed by drivers that behave in in a certain theme or a certain cultural manner. So, you know, if I'm, if I want to, you know, basically drive an outdoor rugged style vehicle, um, you know, that is kind of, you know, in concert with my, you know, Eddie Bauer REI outdoor theme, um, there will be an opportunity for, for aftermarket and original equipment suppliers to provide vehicle parts to those segmented um, uh, platforms. The other upside is is the whole digital piece, and and that really is that is a larger upside. Um, so you know, a, a trillion dollars in in the industry, according to McKinsey Extras, is nothing to to shake a fist at. And um, you know, I think auto part makers, whether they're aftermarket or original, really need to take a step back and figure out what segments am I going to play in. How am I going to play? Can I play at scale? How how much do I want to digitize? I mean, I, I don't know that you necessarily need a chief digital officer to do that. It's more of a, 
engineering and product development consideration in, in the product portfolio. Uh, but having said that, you you do have you do have to make some bets and some calls, and there's going to be a pull effect from the different automakers and platforms that you're you're supporting, and the owner base, whether that's a, a fleet management company that owns tens of thousands of vehicles or or an owner population that may own tens of thousands of vehicles they're very very different markets to work with you know the the b2c and b2b2c there's there's definitely a different nuance to that in terms of how you sell and and whether you are um you're really focused to a customer lot size of one which we like to talk about in terms of that segmented market so there's a lot of things to think about. It's not, you're not, this is like the old quality days. We're going to hire a quality manager and mm-hmm. they're going to be responsible for quality. Well, as we learned very quickly in the 80s and the 90s, it's everybody's responsibility. And yeah. I think very much like sustainability of the last decade, where again, you're not just hiring one person, it's everybody's responsibility. I think we're going to see product digitization and the move to smart products be much the same way. Thank you yep, very I much, agree. Bill. Chris, go ahead. Chris? No, I was just going to say I agree. It's, um, it's, it's a game changer for sure. Um, companies are just going to have to learn how to adapt in different ways. But um, the, the old uh, model of, well, we're just going to make parts, and we need to make so many parts and fulfill our customer needs and get to the next quarter and get to the next year or whatever, business as usual, that will not be able to continue to exist. Interesting. Uh, I'm looking at, I think we have time to squeeze in one more topic before we get to our predictions here. Bill, have we talked about CASE yet? CASE, Connected Autonomous Shared Electrified. I know that was a, a big buzz when I was talking to you and many of the sponsors and attendees and keynotes at Best Practices for Automotive. You want to just explain what that is for us? Yeah, um, and, and it's, it's, it's helpful because so many people are putting the letters in different orders and acronyms ah. deliberately or, or not so deliberately. So um, whether it's ACEs, CASE, or any other combination, I think that the industry have la- has landed on the fact that there are four key drivers that are going to be um, shaping what you and I and you know, subsequent you know, generations consider transportation coming out of the auto industry, and that's connected. So how... How is a vehicle or whatever a vehicle platform looks like in the future connected to the driver, connected to the fleet, connected to um, other vehicles, other things, infrastructure? So we talk about V2X, uh, vehicle to everything or anything. Um, and there are a number of big uh, suppliers like Aptive and, and Bosch, as I mentioned earlier, that are really trying to push in that space. Um, autonomous, so arguably there is a certain level of autonomy in the vehicle today. We've got uh, brake assist, as Chris was mentioning, accident avoidance. Um, you know, we talk about the different levels of autonomous driving. Mm-hmm. So level one is completely manual. Level five is the car is driving itself, hands off the wheel. You don't have a wheel. You don't have pedals. And, and we're kind of in that level three moving to level four space now. And, and, I, and I think uh, one of the things that uh, we might, we might want to touch on is that 
technology is outpacing the 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 rate of change that government and regulations and yeah. city infrastructures are able to accommodate. Um, so shared is as you would imagine. So um, you know, shared vehicles, whether that's uh, a Lyft, Uber type of uh, opportunity where you're ride sharing, it could be that um, I own a vehicle and then part time I'm driving it to you know share rides with people. It could mm-hmm. be even fleet carpooling, which has been you know around for decades. Uh, also, if I recall correctly, I think GM now has a program where, as a part of its Maven brand, a driver that doesn't own a vehicle can actually lease a rideshare-enabled vehicle to then offer services under the Lyft platform. So now you've got a situation where we're creating a fleet for a population of drivers that didn't have access to a vehicle before, and now they can actually go and and perform ride-sharing. And then electrification is, um, as we move away from the internal combustion engine, what does that look like? Um, batteries or what we call BEV uh, technology um, it may even get into in, in trucks. We see long haul where you're looking at uh, fuel cells, uh, which are heavy, but they make more sense when you're pulling heavier weights and you're going longer distances. So there's, and, and everybody, all the automakers are doing something at, at, at certain levels in all of those spaces. And, and all of those things are converging into what we call these uh, this basket of case technologies. Thank you, Bill. You know what? We are technically in the crystal ball predictions round of the show. We have six minutes left, so I'm going to give you each. This is just the two of you. I hate to say just. It sounds like, well, we only had, we have two powerful people on this panel today. I want to say that. Chris Gardner, I can give you 90 seconds or more for your prediction. Let's look at automotive aftermarket. Chris, can we predict out to 2025? Because 2020 is literally just around the corner. So anything you can tell us that you, from your inside, perspective from your knowledge of the industry from your involvement with the AASA is anything going to change dramatically along this journey this trek this trip this route to digitalization to tackling the questions of government governance the consumer data the software from hard parts to smart parts a lot's going on what do you think will be different by 2025 Chris Gardner all yours 90 seconds go Great. Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, two things. One is I think that the independent repair community will be drastically different in that you'll have repair shops that will be specialists who, that can deal with these connected vehicles, that can protect data privacy of individuals, that can reset and recalibrate some of these ADOS systems. So that's one thing. It has no choice. It has to revamp itself and change and, and all that. The second is I think the M&A activity that's including partnerships, joint ventures, acquisitions, et cetera, between technology startups and aftermarket parts manufacturers will start to ramp up next year in 2019. But then by 2025, it'll be very common to read in the, in the, in the press almost every week about some new partnership that's, that is created between a Silicon Valley-type company and a traditional manufacturer. So there you go. Thank you very much. You were very concise. We may have a little time for a bonus prediction. I don't know. Let's see where we go. Bill Newman. Uh, Bill, up to you. What do you see? Bill, can you go out to 2025 for me? Could you drive the future that far ahead? What do you think will change in the aftermarket segment? Well, I think that 
I think the big year that everybody's talking about is actually 2030. And I think Ooh, that okay. I, I don't know that that's necessarily hard planted in the ground, if it's a, it's, a, it's a hard stake in the ground or if it's just arbitrary. I think people have been looking out for a couple of decades to and a generation to say, you know, what might that be? But a lot of the forecast models talk about you know, the big tipping point to, to case technology, shared economies, autonomous driving by 2030, and and, and a number of the studies, um, strategic studies in the industry kind of go out that far. I actually think that number is going to be a bit arbitrary, and there are a couple of things that are going to try to, you know, shape that. Again, we talked about regulatory environment. There are some things that are happening at the federal and state and large municipal government levels that are happening with, we'll call it, greater depth and velocity than perhaps we were expecting. So being able to approve X small fleets of autonomous vehicles out on the interstate highways, you're going to see a lot of things coming out of the defense industry with their autonomous um, truck platoons make their way very quickly into the heavy vehicle space. And I know we've really been focusing on light passenger vehicles, but, you know, as we talked at the conference last week, how do you feel about that when you're driving down I-40 across Texas and all of a sudden you look up and you've got, you know, five large trucks and nobody's driving them? I mean, there's... <laughs> is it is it safe? I you know I think a that there's some societal scary. impacts there we have to talk about and what a that little might scary. be. Bill, I got thirty more seconds for you. Wrap up. What do you think? What's the, what's left that you want to talk about for your prediction? Thirty more. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think that all kind of rolls back into what what folks are going to be, and everybody's going to have to figure out their own individual journeys, as, as we were talking about earlier on the program about where they want to be and where they want to play and, and what their individual journey as, as suppliers are as they move from hard parts to uh, smart parts. So we'll just kind of leave it at that. Thank you very much. Bill Newman, Chris Gardner, I knew the two of you could more than amply fill the hour with me, and I appreciate it. Shout out to our engineer extraordinaire, Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio. And this actually, Bill, I think this is episode number 12 in the series. So that's it for the year. You and Chris are closing out the production year for the future of cars. And I want you to whisper in Judy Cubis's ear that we're going to renew for next year because this is an important series and so much going on. And Chris, I hope you'll come back and join us. And I want to say, Mike. Okay, and my call to action is, and thank you to Miranda LeBate for working on this series all year. Judy Cubis came on board a couple months ago. Uli Munch is part of this team. We get tweets all the time from Jim Davis and, and many people in this part of SAP, and we really appreciate it. So here's my call to action. You all know what it is. Let me speed this up a little bit. Fasten your seatbelt. Bill, I say that on all our series, but it really works best on this one. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Chris Gardner at the AAS. SA Automotive Aftermarket Suppliers Association and William Bill Newman at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. I will be back in exactly one hour with a live edition of one of our newest series, Changing the Game with Intelligent Technologies Radio. And our focus will be on turning digital uncertainty into competitive advantage. Woohoo! With Ben Zimmerman and Michael Ruiz at EY and Justin Somani at SAP. What a panel. Have a great day, all. Talk to you in an hour. Bye bye.
Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.